I'm here today with Richard Mao, author of a new book titled How to Be a Patriotic Christian, Love of Country as Love of Neighbor. Richard is a senior research fellow at the Henry Institute for the Study of Religion and Politics at Calvin University. He previously served as the president of Fuller Theological Seminary and directed their Institute of Faith and Public Life. In 2007, Princeton Theological Seminary awarded him the Abraham Kuyper Prize for Excellence in Reformed Theology and Public Life. He's the author of over 20 books, including Uncommon Decency, Adventures in Evangelical Civility, Restless Faith, and All That God Cares About. You can learn more about uh, Richard and his books at ivpress.com. So, Richard, thanks so much for joining us. Um, it's really an honor to meet with someone of your accomplishments. Well, it's an honor for me, Brian. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for all the work and contributions that you've made. Um, you know, your uh, reputation precedes you quite well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to get started, though, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what you would like people to know about you besides kind of what I touched on briefly. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, a kid originally from New Jersey. Yay, good for New Jersey. <laughs> I'm uh, living near Los Angeles, but I have never stopped my loyalties to the old Brooklyn Dodgers and, uh, and Jackie Robinson and Roy Campanella days. Uh, <laughs> sure. And, uh, I've been, you know, we've moved around. I uh, my master's degree in philosophy at the University of Alberta, so I've spent a couple of years in Canada, and then uh, PhD at the University of Chicago. And my first full-time teaching job was at Calvin University, then Calvin College, there for 17 years in Michigan, and then we moved here to uh, Southern California. And I am doing that Paul Henry Institute at Calvin as a senior research fellow, but uh, we continue to live uh, in Southern California. Well, during your tenure at uh, Fuller, you really accomplished a lot. The school really grew and flourished. Yeah, those were great years. Uh, I'm not sure that I would want to be president of a seminary right now because higher education is going through such huge changes and uh, uh, challenges that it's not always clear what to do, you know. Uh, when I taught and presided at Fuller, uh, just about everybody uh, who studied there had to move to Pasadena or one of the other extension areas. But, uh, these days, you can get a whole Master of Divinity degree without ever meeting another student in the same program. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough for seminaries these days, all yeah. around. Um, it's, it's challenging on multiple levels, but, uh, yeah. you know, there's still several of them that are, you know, really outstanding organizations, so it's just great yeah. to see. Yeah. So can we talk, before we get to the new book, can we talk a little bit about some of the previous books that you've written? Yeah. Well, you know, I... Uh, I came on the, the academic scene uh, during the radical 60s and as an evangelical really struggled with my evangelical identity because uh, those were difficult days to be involved in uh, 
civil rights protests and anti-war protests and uh, a lot of evangelicals were very hostile toward people. They were suspicious of Martin Luther King because they thought he might be being used by the communists, you know, and so uh, that was a, a hurdle that many of us had to deal with. Uh-huh. And uh, many of them were strong supporters of Richard Nixon and the war in Vietnam. So my first book, as I when I went on to the, Cal- the Calvin College faculty, was called Political Evangelism. You know? uh-huh. uh, how concern for politics was a really a, really a part of what God meant by being saved and uh, what it meant to be a Bible-believing Christian. And uh, so that got me into writing about these things. And uh, so some of what I've written has been quite concerned with political engagement. I think I've mellowed over the years on some of those things, but I haven't given up on my those days when Ron Sider and I were very involved in forming uh, Evangelicals for Social Action. I was mm-hmm. on the board of the editorial board of Sojourners Magazine okay. in the early years. So I got into all of that. Uh, but as a Calvinist, uh, I sometimes disagreed with my Mennonite pacifist uh, friends. And some people went in radical directions that I I disagreed with, uh, and I've also, you know, as an academic, have written books on more theoretical topics. So, mm-hmm. a book for Notre Dame Press on uh, divine command theory and ethics. And I've written a lot on uh, Abraham Kuyper, who is my my hero, a, a theologian who was also the prime minister of the Netherlands. And, so I've had a mix of things and written about different topics. Huh. My second book, Within a Varsity, where the first one was on the book that you mentioned, uh, uh, Uncommon Decency, Christian Civility in an Uncivil World. And that has been, in many ways, my my best-selling book. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Well, maybe this new one will do even better. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you never know when you write a book what's going to happen. Sure, sure. Yeah, That's true for every author, it seems like. <laughs> so I mentioned that the title of the new book is How to Be a Patriotic Christian, Love of Country as Love of Neighbor. How did that book come about? Well, partly, uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of stuff in the last couple of years and during political campaign years. I've been asked by a lot of pastors they want to talk to or do podcasts or interview me or have me speak to congregations about uh, how we deal with the increasing polarization in American society. You know, I wrote that book on civility when I was mainly thinking about how Politics was a part of the problem internationally in Northern Ireland and the Middle East and uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina where Christians were at war with Muslims and 
how do we deal with, uh, but increasingly the question became, how do we deal with uh, uh, incivility in American public life? And for a while I was being interviewed about road rage on California freeways and parking lots and the aisles of supermarkets. But increasingly, the civility question got more and more into uh, how do we deal with uh, politics in the United States Congress, you know, where incivility seems to make it difficult for people to govern, you know, a lot of uh, debating, a lot of quarreling. Uh, so, uh, but finally I decided that uh, it was an important question about patriotism because uh, there too we have a polarization. People who think that anything to do with patriotism is a, a bad thing, it's idolatry, uh, civil religion is horrible. And on the and, and, and the exact opposite of that with people who see patriotism as a way of serving God and country and they almost conflate the two. And so we get this kind of polarization. But there are a lot of us who uh, want to try to find a way between that. And, uh, you know, how do we love our country and still criticize it? Uh, how do we deal with our Christian convictions in the in public life, even in talking about political life? So I decided to write a book about that. Well, good for you. Good for you. Um, this topic is so badly needed these days. As you said, the degree of polarization and lack of compromise, lack of prioritization of the common good seems to me at a low point in my life at least. Yeah, so, you know, it, I'm just getting some initial feedback because the book's only been available for about, you know, the last week or two. And, uh, I think that I'm convinced that we need to address the, the broad middle on issues like this and that the polarization is often at the extremes. Uh, and obviously there are people who uh, are on the Donald Trump side of things, but they, they, they are also concerned about a lot of that what that leads to in public life, racism, and this phenomenon of Christian nationalism. America is an exceptional nation because it's especially blessed by God. And so those are the kinds of issues that we're preparing to have to talk about quite a bit in interviews and responses to my book. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, what do you think the most serious issues are right now that need to be dealt with? Well, I think, you know, one very serious issue is how do we even talk to each other when we disagree? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the patriotism issue raises a lot of issues. But, uh, you know, I am very concerned about the race issue and mm -hmm. ways in which people who have no idea what critical race theory is uh, use that as an excuse to uh, keep us from preaching and talking and 
teaching about uh, the important issues of racial injustice and mm-hmm. the history of slavery and all the rest in our nation. Um, I also think that it's very important to uh, be wrestling with uh, the questions of, uh, you know, how do we how do we deal with January sixth and so many of these other other issues. So, and I I am actually encouraged though. I think there's a younger generation certainly that I find in the Christian world who disagree with their parents <laughs> on how they vote. I've talked to a number of uh, college and seminary students who have the parents are very upset with them because they did not vote the right way and will not vote the right way in the, in the next election. So I think that the church has a very important mission in uh, dealing with the generational issue. We don't talk about that too much, but the uh, ways in which uh, younger generation are, they're more concerned about the environment they are concerned about their African-American friends, <laughs> how they're being treated in the Christian community. You know, so uh, those are the issues that I hope the church will take on and, and how we deal with uh, patriotism in the church. You know, it's, uh, I have a, one chapter where I begin with a pastor who says, well, I finally they made it through Memorial Day week, and now I got to start worrying about the Fourth of July. <laughs> and he's really concerned about uh, fighting over the flag in church. Uh-huh. The majority of his congregation would be deeply upset if they ever took the flag out of the church sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Wow! And uh, it's so hard to talk about issues. In, relating to political life these days because if you say it even use the word immigration you're you're viewed as having a certain kind of political ideology mm-hmm. these are tough times yeah. so what do you think the answer is i mean you know we, we've all recognized these deep problems i mean the tough thing is okay what do we do about it <laughs> uh, I, th- I think the church has failed in its teaching ministry uh and I don't think a political campaign year is the best time to start into that. But, uh, you know, I'm convinced that we have not taught lay people about what the Bible says about mm-hmm. this. You know, people will just say, well, you know, you got to render under Caesar that which is Caesar, or the powers that be ordained to profit. They're quoting biblical texts there. But those biblical texts do not uh, promote an attitude of uncritical uh, loyalty to a candidate or to a government or government policies. And uh, I think we need to do a better job of, of teaching about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, <clears throat> you know, I've heard this quote. Uh, I'd be curious if you've ever heard this before that um, you don't ever win a theological argument, you just wait till they die. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Actually, I actually heard or read that in a different 
vein. It said, um, it was talking about scientists, I think, and it said the same thing. You don't ever win, you know, a scientific argument. You just wait till they die. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And that's really to give up. I mean, it's, yeah, it's unfortunate, right? To reach a conclusion like that. Yeah. And uh, I understand it and I, I see the passions that form that sense of dilemma. But I do think that we need to find safe places where we can begin to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So I think there are some, you know, some, some people don't want to deal with politics in church because, uh, for good reasons. I mean, it's the one place they can go where they're not going <laughs> to, you know, uh, plagued by this polarization. But I do think we can find ways in which we can educate. You know, there's great word catechesis, which means not just learning catechisms, but <laughs> the teaching ministry of the church. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I think we can maybe do it in small groups. Uh, but we have to get, get over the fear of that. Uh-huh and creating safe places. So I, I think how we talk about these things, uh, we need to shift a bit on that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we at Fuller Seminary have been very influenced by our relationship with Young Life, which is a wonderful ministry to high school kids. And uh, I found out that Young Life has a, an interesting approach. It, if you want to talk to a 15-year-old teenager about what she believes about God, they don't say to her, what do you believe about God? Uh, because you'll, she'll go on the defensive and she'll uh, be afraid that she's going to say something wrong. And uh, But if you say to her, what do your friends believe about God? Mm -hmm. uh, she suddenly becomes an act. A sociologist. <laughs> and what you're really learning is her, you know. But uh, you're you're not putting her on the on the defensive. And so if uh, you want to talk to a say a, a, a Trump voter, uh, why do you why do you like Don Trump? Uh, she's gonna go on the defensive. What if you say what if what do your friends feel about Donald Trump, and especially your Christian friends? You know? uh -huh. It's a little safer question, uh, and you're not uh, you're not just challenging uh -huh. Uh -huh. her. Uh -huh. You're asking to her to talk about these issues as a person who is deeply involved in in those things, or you can say to your uh, your African-American friends. Uh, tell me about your experience as a as a black person in America. Rather than say, why do you, why do you think black lives matter? <laughs> right away. And I think you need to find those, those teaching experiences. And I think we're ready for that, uh, at least with some subgroups within the Christian community, you know, one of my favorite examples is that when 
married people or good friends have a fight, uh, they often get say horrible things to, to each other. And they, one of them stomps off, saying, well, that's hopeless. Um, that, that'll only, that'll only uh, be settled when one of us is dead, you know. Uh, but there comes a moment, maybe an hour, two hours later, where the person comes back and, and says gently, can we talk? Huh. You know, I said those things, but I'm sorry. I didn't. What I was really trying to say was, you know, and I think that in the uh, many church communities, uh, people are ready to say, can we talk? Uh, and then we need to find the safe places. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So what I'm really trying to get at in the way I voted for Biden or the way I voted for Trump, what, what I really care about there, and you start getting into uh, where people are at in terms of their own journey. So I, I keep using this wonderful line from the Christian Carol, the hopes and fears of all the years <laughs> we met in Jesus, in the birth of Jesus. And as Christians, uh, even in our political, we, we're dealing with hopes and fears. I, I once was on National Public Radio with a gay activist. And we went back and forth on it, but I sensed that he was open to real conversation. And I said to him, you know what I wish? I wish that folks like us didn't just get on the radio where we, our listeners, your listeners are there and mine are and and, uh, they want me to win or they want you to win. But wouldn't it be great if we just Close the door. And I can say to you, what is it about people like me that bother you so much? That maybe make you so fearful? And I can say to you, what is it about, or you can say to me, what is it about me and my partner, my gay partner, that you find so threatening in American life? And that we can really talk about fears, we can talk about hopes, and we can even get around to maybe talking about when we build enough trust, is there some way that without changing our convictions or without changing our lifestyle, we can get along as American citizens? And those are the kinds of conversations that we, we really need. And incidentally, on that program, there was a call, a national call in. And the first person to call said, I can't understand why you would even have this Richard Mao guy on there. <laughs> Are you going to interview a slave interview a slave owner tomorrow? Oh, wow. And the gay activist said, let me handle this. And he said to the caller, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You know, he's encouraging us to have conversations that we're just going to end up yelling at each other unless we can have conversations like this. Mm-hmm. So, so there is hope. Yeah, I, because of the How to Heal Our Divides work that I've done, I've you know uncovered you know many different organizations that are doing the kinds of things that you're describing, where there's small group meetings that you know are intended to diffuse things and actually have mm-hmm. you know civil conversations, not 
trying to force one side or the other to agree or change their position, but just to hear each other out um, and understand better, which, uh, you know, certainly the first step toward more cooperation and compromise and other civil conversation. And just the way we talk, I mean, you know, you say, oh, why do you believe that? (laughs) Uh, That puts the person on the defensive. But if you say, help me to understand this, is this the way you would put it? And you're asking them really to talk about their own. So if I could, I'd like to read one of the endorsements for your book. This one's from Alan Wolf, Professor Emeritus of Boston College. He says, as as always, Richard Mao offers his warmly humanistic thoughts on the state of America and its religiosity. This time, however, his inclusive understanding of Christian, Christian duty is especially welcome given the attraction of so many American Christians to an amoral worship of power for power's sake. So um, tell me about this whole issue of power. Yeah. Now, let me say, first of all, that's one of the endorsements that meant the most to me because Alan Wolf is a, a secular Jew, sociologist. He's a friend. And, uh, uh, and he really, he's one of these people who really wants to understand evangelical Christians uh, as a sociologist, and that endorsement meant much to me. But yeah, the power. Um, you know, a, a guy from The Economist called me, uh, right, right, he was writing a column for The Economist. And he said, why is it, he said, I think I'm, I'm not wrong in asking the question this way. Why is it that Mormons are much nicer in politics an evangelical person. <laughs> and we, we talked about that, that Mormons have always been kind of on the edges of American life. Uh, they've been attacked a lot. They're considered to be an evil cult. And in recent years, and especially with the nomination of uh, Mitt Romney, they began to integrate into the, the, the life stream of America. But they never had power. And, and, and so they haven't lost it. You know. And they're not trying to take over America. They're just trying to be respected. And, and rightly so, I think. Whereas evangelicals in the 19th century, uh, they, own the, the, they own the culture. You know. God and country and all this. And then it was the evolutionary crisis Darwinism and, and many other things that evangelicals began to lose control of the discourse of religion and life in American culture. And we're, we're hurting. I mean, I, I'm not defending that, but I'm saying many evangelicals are hurting because they don't know how to raise their kids anymore. Huh. Is it okay to send them to school? They've taken the public schools away from us. So now we got to do homeschooling, you know. Uh, these people are trying to rewrite the, the books, you know. And, uh, and so the evangelicals have had this sense of loss. And we, we tend, I'm, I'm talking about my people, 
disagree with on this, but either we take over the culture or we totally oppose it. But what we can't handle is working alongside of others with different ideologies, different lifestyles in a pluralistic study. Just to... That's been a real struggle, hasn't it? Yeah, have a relatively peaceful culture. And so we have culture wars. And it's been a tough time. Uh And what we have to learn is that God does not want us to be in power. God wants us to, to respect people and invite them to take our views seriously. Not to impose it on them. Uh And so how to be Christians in a pluralistic society is one of the huge challenges. Uh Uh So what would you say would be one thing you'd like readers to take away from your book? (laughs) To be a patriot is a journey. It's a struggle. We have to struggle with the issues. We have to struggle with the questions. And it's okay to criticize our country. It's okay to look at our past and uh, and criticize the way we've treated Native populations, the slavery issue, the denial of the vote for women for such a long time. Uh, but it's okay in all of that to also to love our country. If you look at the patriotic songs, uh, they they teach us what a love of country is like. Uh, there, there are three ways that, that I, I studied the patriotic songs again before I, I wrote this book. There are three things they have to do with. One is just our natural wonders. I love that purple, you know, purple mountains, <laughs> fields of rain. Purple Mountains, Majesty, you know, Yellowstone, all of that. So our natural wonders, and it's a beautiful country, and we should love that, and we should want to protect it as well. The second thing is uh, our past, and there are a lot of good things in our past. You know? And uh, I'm, I'm glad our flag was still there in the morning. You know? uh, we can think about that. You know, and and also, uh, our the third thing is about uh, our, our our ideals, you know, liberty and law, loving our freedom. And, you know, when it comes to those ideals, that that, that wonderful song, "God Bless America," uh, we say, "God mend thine every flaw." To love our country is also want to want to correct it, to want to take an honest look at our flaws. And instead of arguing about how to have a flag in church, we ought to sing that song and then show how that's a very biblical thing, to want your country to be mend the flaws. And uh, so, you know, I... I, I want, I wrote a book that I hope could show serious Christians how they can genuinely love their country 
and also work to correct the flaws, to mend the flaws. Yeah, that's what I have. Amen. Amen. Well, again, Richard, I really thank you so much um, for writing this book and for all the work that you've done. And uh, it's really been an honor to be able to meet you and speak with you and I uh, wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, Brian. It's been an honor to chat with you about these things and God bless you. Amen.